One thing about me is that I love Ghibli movies. Don't you? Uh, okay, for those of you who are not familiar with Ghibli Studio, it's a Japanese animation film studio headquartered in Kogane, Tokyo. The studio is best known for its animated feature films and has also produced several short films, television commercials, and one television film. Now, I have just found out about the commercials and the television film because this is a description that I snatched very quickly from its Wikipedia page. But their animated feature films, I think, are simply magical and just amazing overall. So today, we're going to talk about a particular Ghibli movie, actually. It's adapted from a book with the same name. Welcome back to another episode of Pieces of Books. I'm your host, Delima. If you're just listening to one of my episodes today, welcome. This is a podcast where I talk about books and the parts of it that just stuck in my mind. Or in general, you know, I just really like the book and I want to talk about it. I basically spoke about the podcast concept back in the very first episode, so check it out. I talked about Murakami's The One Upward Chronicle there. I think it's interesting stuff. So anyway, I have to tell you something. When I was typing the script, the Google Docs kept auto-correcting my name as Dilemma. <laughs> it's very close. My name is actually an Indonesian word for a fruit, pomegranate to be exact. It's not a very common fruit to eat, I think, here. And I think also it's not very often brought up in conversations, unlike um, apples or oranges, you know, and it's more often said as a human's name compared to its fellow fruits, at least as far as I've observed here locally in Indonesia. So, right, speaking of dilemma, I'm here today to deliver you my wishy-washy opinions on a fictional character. <laughs> but before we go ahead, I'm once again asking for you to follow the Pieces of Books podcast and save up the episodes. Oh, and also at the end of May... I need to tell you about this. I was given the opportunity to be a guest on a fellow book lover podcast. It was really fun. So this podcast name is Books to Last Podcast. It is a book podcast hosted by Jordan. In her episodes, Jordan encouraged book lovers to select only five books that they would take to their mystery remote place. So about a few weeks ago, uh, Jordan reached out to me on Audrey, uh, where podcasters just get together and posted their pages up. And then just, you know, browse each other and offer some collaboration offerings. So she proposed the idea and I was super excited. I was guesting on the 11th episode and it already went up back on June 15th. So please give it a listen. So without further ado, the book that I'm going to discuss today, as you can clearly see from the title of the episode, is called Howl's Moving Castle. 
It has been adapted into a very charming and beautiful animated movie courtesy of Ghibli Studio. When it comes to Howl's Moving Castle, I think it's safe to say that it's very popular within our generation, the millennials. And I believe it's going to safely warm its way to Gen Z's hearts as well. It's a fantasy story with unique and interesting characters and also a sympathetic emotional protagonist leading the story. And plus, I believe that there's still a great amount of audience who aren't aware yet that it's adapted from a book. There might be. <laughs> That's why I'm here to spread awareness. So the book itself was written by Diana Wynne-Jones and it was published or released in 1986. Meanwhile, the movie adaptation was released in 2004. The older Ghibli millennial fans might have been aware of this, but are we... The 90s down to the 2000s kids are aware of this. I don't know. Yeah, so that's why I'm here. I, like I said, I'm spreading awareness. So I've just met aware a couple years back myself. I thought uh, Hayao Miyazaki, the director from Ghibli Studio, who is also the co-founder, was an animated film genius for thinking up something as beautiful as Howl Moving Castle. Well, he came up with the visualization, right? And I thought at that time... He he also came up with the story idea. This is wild. This is like, what is he? Like a storytelling superhero or something? Miss Jones was actually the creator of Howl's Moving Castle universe. Thank you. Rest in peace. So in this episode, I will be talking about how there are differences and altercation of the story between the book and the adapted animation. So I'm just going to go ahead and give you the spoiler alert here. There weren't any drastic changes, but I think that there were some elements with redeeming quality for one of the characters or maybe like some some differences from the characters from the movie and the book itself. So you'll find it soon enough if you stick around. So we begin with the story. Howl's Moving Castle is a self-explanatory title. It mentioned a wizard named Howl who lived in a magical land called Ingrid. He happened to have a castle that's able to move around, like literally. One minute it's in a secluded, fast, green field, crawling with weird legs, can join from random materials, and another minute it's a house, you know, established somewhere, built somewhere in a neighborhood. Really like a house just standing there, not moving at all. I think it's a concept of a bus house, one can say. Have you seen people who bought old buses and then just transform them into a tiny house. So a bus house could not be in two places at the same time. It could not be, let's just say, it could not be in Australia and then New Zealand at the same time, right? But Hal's castle could. He, of course, uh, Hal, of course, will be standing in the middle of the main character spotlight along with Sophie for the rest of the story. So Sophie, we have the protagonist, Sophie Hatter, who is the eldest of three Hatter sisters. The rest of them were called Letty and Martha. The sisters are daughters of a past Mr. Hatter, their father, who established a hat store. Previously, Mr. Hatter ma married Sophie's mother, who passed away when she was only two and Letty was only one year old. He then remarried to the hat shop assistant named Fanny and had a child together, who is Martha. Fanny set their future very decidedly. 
I don't know what she, why she would have the authority to do so. I mean, yes, she's their mother figure now anyway, and obviously to Martha, but it just irks me how she can just flick her fingers and then call it a day for the two rest of her stepdaughters. I mean, they have a life of their own, right? She could absolutely do that to Martha, but I don't think she could do as she pleases with Sophie and Letty. I don't know. So, yes, she she is very dominant in deciding their futures. So Fanny uh, was determined in her decision that Martha is the one, her her own biological child is the one that's going to be successful and strikes a lot of fortune. <laughs> she sent her to pursue sorcery, becoming an apprentice of an older successful witch. I mean, see, Fanny is really shady. She's only rooting for her own child. How could she just ultimately decide that the rest of the two wouldn't even go anywhere near mild success. <laughs> She's so full of herself. She thought that she could, she decided that Letty could go to Cesare's. This is like a famous bakery shop in town, like a bistro, where she hoped that Letty find a handsome apprentice and then go marry. Because Letty is very beautiful. Because she was described as a very beautiful lady. So I think it's it's just really low or like just shallow of her to just send Letty without actually considering her her own talents and her own capabilities of pursuing other things in life rather than just marry rich or marry a handsome guy <laughs> mind blown it's just what in the world and then Letty was sent to Cesaris and Sophie after the two of them were assigned Sophie was left with the head business She's she's the heiress, you can call it. But this this sounds cool. But I think Sophie also wanted to try something new too. Like she wanted the sorcery path as well. She didn't want like to just stuck in the hat store forever. She she would want to maybe travel somewhere, not just stuck in that dilapidated wooden hat shop in a small town. But you know, because Fanny had decided that Sophie, bless her heart, she just accepted the decision. So with this mindset in mind, Sophie is just minding her own business. She was she was spending her days back in the head store while her sisters tried for their respective lives. So here we have um, the connection between Howell and the town that these sisters live in. Howell is depicted as this scary wizard who hunts for pretty young girls' hearts so that he could eat them. Uh, and then later on, Later on in the story, Sophie got cursed by the Witch of the Waste with a horrid spell that transforms her into an old lady. And her only chance to break it is to join hands with Howl and his moving castle, making a bargain with uh, a demon and also face the witch who cursed her. So that's the general idea of the story. From this point onward, we'll be diving deeper into it, talking about how the adaptation left out some details from the book and also added something new, which I think is very good for the story overall. So here we go. The first point of this book versus movie topic is that the adaptation chose it more convenient to live out one of Sophie's sisters. In the movie, you will see that Sophie is heading out to visit her sister at the beginning. This is Letty, we're talking about, the pretty girl who works in Cesaris, who people love to see. People just love to see her. You know, Cesaris have a lot of, um, what's the term here to call? Like, like a sales or something, sales individual. 
girls who stood behind the cashier and then just like showed people the chocolates or the bakeries they would want to purchase. They have a lot of that, but they only look for Letty. So, and in this scene, they didn't ma- mention Martha yet. This also happens in the book. So Ms. Ms. Jones explained that Sophie went out on May Day to visit her sister. But there was a huge detail that the animation decided to drop out, which was the switch of her two sisters. I think it would be a longer movie if they decided to just put it in. So yeah, get this. Letty, who's working in Cesaris, is actually Martha. While the former was off to study sorcery instead, straight to a witch named Mrs. Fairfax. This is also the same witch who taught Martha a couple of days before they switch places. So they switch places and trick everybody with magic skills. I brought up a glimpse from the book's chapter 2. What? Sophie stared at the girl on the stool opposite her. She looked just like Letty. She was wearing Letty's second best blue dress. She had Letty's dark hair and blue eyes. But Sophie could see that it was Martha now. There was Martha's tilt to Letty's head, and Martha's way of clasping her hands round her knees with her thumbs twiddling. So apparently the two sisters had arranged it ahead. Uh, Letty wanted a highly magic-educated future for herself, and so she switched places. See, Letty wanted something different for herself. Said so they couldn't plead to Fanny, Martha's mother, as her own daughter said that Fanny was jealous of Letty. <laughs> Now, I told you Fanny is shady, right? She's probably jealous of Sophie, too. So that's why she decided for her to stay at the boring head house and spend some money from the business to fulfill her own troubling desires and whatnot. (laughs) I have this irrational hater towards Fanny, okay? Bear with me. I just hate her. I just... The the moment that the the story described to me that Fanny decided the futures of these three young lady... I mean, Martha was plausible because she's her own daughter. For the rest of the two, I just, I don't find it comfortable to accept that Fanny could just arrange their futures like that. Stop it. <laughs> Martha, on the other hand, was also good at sorcery, but she wanted a different path. She confessed to Sophie that she wants to get married and then have 10 children. <laughs> 10 children, goodness. Calm down, Martha. I mean, yes. So they switched places, Martha and Letty. Can you imagine, though, the high-quality animation Ghibli Studio would deliver had the scene made it into the movie? I think it will get some sort of a spirited away vibe a little bit, because with the shapeshifter kind of magic, since, you know, uh, with the spirited away with the Yubaba and the sister, the twin sister, what's, what's the sister called again? I forgot the name of the kind sister, but Yubaba... No, wait, they look exactly alike. <laughs> I'm confused. Wait a minute, what's the shapeshifter again? What's the switching places? Oh, they shapeshift for the baby and it's, it, it changed shape into a mouse and a fly. That's a different story, but you get the drill, you know? You get the very mystical, magical vibe. <laughs> okay, anyway, yeah. Sophie's sisters changed places and the movie didn't show that. Letty is still Letty, and I assume Martha was just very briefly mentioned at one part. Remember when Sophie had turned into an old lady and went to the mountains to find Howl's moving castle? She was advised by local residents to not continue her journey, because where she was heading to, there, there were lots of shady witches and wizards. 
The local resident said that Sophie wanted to visit her other sister, if I recall correctly. So there's a dialogue where there's where there's another local resident. Where is she going? Asking where Sophie is going. Poor old lady. Why is she walking all alone? And blah, blah, blah. And then that same local resident who told her, who advised her to not go, answered that other resident that she wanted to visit her other sister. So I think that's the only thing about Martha. At least Letty was being featured for a bit. Because in the movie, none of her sisters were brought up again towards the end. And then we, we also get to discuss about Sophie's first encounter with Hal. It's amazing how different these... You know, this encounter that happens in the book and in the movie. So we're only starting. The sisters' issues weren't the only thing that's been altered. If you're a fan of Ghibli Studios' works, especially Howl's Moving Castle, I believe that you must have been really familiar with Howl and Sophie's first encounter. You know, the one when she met two intimidating soldiers in a small alley, and they sort of ask her to accompany them, drink tea, or just to hang out. They're very creepy. I hate them. And they made Sophie un- clearly uncomfortable. And also they called her Little Mouse. Like, what the heck? Then, like a knight in shining armor, Howl appeared out of nowhere and pretended that he'd been looking for Sophie. He was late and he was sorry. Howl quickly pulled her closer and commanded those two soldiers to turn around and go. Like, literally, with swift gestures from his hand. He would, he would just, like, move his hands around and then the soldiers would follow the gestures from his hand and then walk away from the two of them. It was quite the coincidence, because Howl was being chased by the blob creatures, like this uh, sticky, slimy creature thingy that was sent by the Witch of the Waste. This is the antagonist of the story, who I think also played a huge part in matching our two characters together. I, I don't know, I just think in my opinion, you know. So this is the Witch, the witch of the Waste. This is the witch that cursed Sophie into an old lady. So imagine if he, if she didn't turn Sophie into an old lady, then Sophie wouldn't want to pursue Hal, Hal's moving castle. I mean, she wouldn't want to pursue his help, and then they would, they wouldn't meet, they wouldn't meet up at all, and just you know, like that. But it's different, right? She did meet Hal first in the movie, and it also happened in the book. But the movie specifically said it like after she meet Hal for the first time. It's it's very memorable. It's very um, it's a very um, a starstruck moment for Sophie. But hang on to this because this is the first encounter that I was going to talk about. It's very different. So like a knight in shining armor, how send them away, and I assumed that in the movie while making his run away from these slimy creatures, how simultaneously found Sophie in distress and swooped in to get her away too. So in a way, they're, they're just running away together, the both of them. And since the slimy creatures were getting feisty, like they were really getting hostile, so Hal jumped to the air and he brought Sophie along. Now, I don't think Sophie ever said to him where she was heading to, but Hal dropped her off at Cesare's balcony anyway. Now, their first encounter in the movie and in the book were two different things, like I said before. But I have to say that the movie did a great job connecting it together. Because their encounter scene was crucial to a part of the story in which Sophie played a big part in Hal's state of living. I'm going to mention this later. And then back to Hal dropping Sophie off at Cesare's. His dialogue in the English dubbed version of the movie was, That's my girl. And for the Japanese version, he said, Ikoda. 
Now, I don't know what it is, but I've always watched Ghibli movies in Japanese with subtitles. And yes, I love the Japanese version of That's My Girl more than the English one. I just think there's a subtle hint of adoration in his voice, and that's really cute. Uh, like, it, it has established from the beginning that Howl, he had adored Sophie from the beginning. And I searched up this, this That's My Girl debate, or not like a debate, but like a phenomenon or something. Be this sent people into a frenzy, actually. So it turns out I surfed the clip videos of him saying that word, specifically that word only, on YouTube. There are lots of them. And found many others melting at his gentleness. I, I read up some YouTube comments. So, I mean, not to mention that he practically saved her while while dressing like him. Like, he he is this eccentric, mysterious wizard with shoulders-length blonde hair and long legs. Also, he can fly. That's <laughs> That's just magical. You know, man of my dreams. 10 out of 10. However, I'm sad to tell you that Howl was actually the man who made Sophie uncomfortable in the book. I'm not kidding. So this is a glimpse from the chapter again. A young man in a fantastical blue and silver costume spotted Sophie and decided to accost her. This made her terribly scared and uncomfortable because Mayday, uh, the streets and the stores and everywhere basically was packed with people. They're jammed with people. Not to mention Sophie was also being approached rather aggressively by a group of guys before Howl. So I can imagine her anxiety, to be honest. Group of guys always make me anxious. So Sophie, I feel you, bestie. So the young man, back to the paragraph, the young man looked at her in surprise. It's all right, you little gray mouse. I only want to buy you a drink. Don't look so scared. Yes, he's even the one who called Sophie a little gray mouse. Oh no. <laughs> What's with the little gray mouse? What? What is that? So Howl was described as a very good-looking man. He has a bony, sophisticated face. I think it indicates that he has fancy cheekbones or striking jawlines with sharp high nose. Well into his 20s and has elaborate blonde hair too. He also wore perfume that was said to be high as scented. Sophie answered him, no thank you, said that she wanted to see her sister. Then he said again, then by all means do so, Howell said. Who am I to keep a pretty lady from her sister? Would you like me to go with you, since you seem so scared? As if that would make her less scared. Yeah, sure, total stranger, please accompany me. What? <laughs> and to the offer, she once again refused. And instead of being dreamily dropped off at the balcony, Sophie made an entrance from the front door of Cesare's. And this would lead to the scene when she was informed by Martha who disguised herself as Letty, that she wasn't actually Letty. After her visit to Cesare's, Sophie headed back home. In the movie, she locked up the store and just tried to take a break, you know. It's a very long day for her. Then suddenly, the Witch of the Waste was by, was by the door, and she kind of reprimanded her to be careful around Howl. So it was explained that Howl made an advance towards the Witch of the Waste. Like it's been mentioned, he's the Casanova around here. I also think that movie, Witch of the Ways, wanted to take his heart too. It's like at least someone had to take Hal's heart. It's very popular there. <laughs> so Sophie countered by saying, The store's closed. I'm sorry, but I thought I'd lock the door. So this gesture seemed to provoke the Witch of the Ways because she immediately flew right through Sophie. After she reprimanded her, like, stay away from Hal, blah, blah, blah. 
And then, no, she didn't say it like that. She didn't say it exactly like that. She said it as some kind of like, what's a girl like you have to do with Hal? Some sort of like that. This was the time she conjured the curse upon Sophie. The effect of the curse was immediate because when Sophie looked at herself in the mirror, she was an old lady. I'm guessing somewhere between late 70 to mid 80 years old. It's quite traumatizing, just imagine. You've been living your whole life of, what, 18, 19 years old? Knowing that all you are is a young lady. You met people and they treated you like you are a young lady. But then one day you just turn really old skip a couple of decades, no big deal, and the people you've known all your life didn't even know it happened. It's a nightmare. Sophie must have really felt anxious and panicked at the moment, I swear. I feel really bad for her. She didn't deserve that at all. And the worst part is that she couldn't talk to anyone about the curse that the witch did to her. There was a scene in the movie when she would explain about the curse to Markle, Hal's apprentice, which I will be discussing um, in the next few seconds but her lips were just sealed tight and she grew angry at the response you know she she wanted to talk about it but she could not the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone i mean these are magical people that can see through her curse and then they ask her what actually happened what's going on why why are you being cursed and then she went to explain it with the words just waiting to come out of her mouth but she was completely silenced by the curse Poor Sophie. <laughs> now, why why did I laugh about that? No, it's just, it's cute. It's not cute, per se. Okay, moving on. Now, relating to the curse and the Witch of the Waste. I think that the movie tried to portray it as the Witch of the Waste knew that Hal's recent target is Sophie, and she got jealous. Hal tried his best to evade her, and it was also the main reason why he moved around with the castle so that she won't be able to track him down. However, the book has another element to back up this problem. See, Hal got a family. The movie didn't didn't really explain that. Hal got a family, not in the way that he sh- he, he has a wife or anything, but there's her there's his sister, Megan, and then his nephew and niece, Neil and Mari. And also Gareth, his sister's husband. They're all safely living far from him, which he could visit anytime, but only he knew where to find them. So I think that uh, this family element became an additional motivation to evade the Witch of the Waste because Howl wouldn't want her to get anywhere close to them. They're the precious people in his life. In other notes, there's also the topic about... Uh, Sophie's appearance as an old lady and the theory that Sophie is actually capable of sorcery. See, in the book, it was insinuated at the beginning that every hat that Sophie ever made has some kind of subtle magic in it. The thing is, Sophie was talking to these hats, you know, assigning them to their future owners, picturing what kind of person who would wear it best. So she picked a hat and told it that it has a mysterious allure and then she picked another that she finished making that she assigned to a company and owner who's going to marry Rich. So she went and picked up a hat and then you're going to marry Rich. Like these hats have souls or these hats have their own ability to move around. And another one to have a youthful air around it. Turn out, one of them became true later on in the story. Because Fanny, the stepmother, went ahead and used the hat for the marrying rich. And she did marry rich. So it came true. 
the things that Sophie talked to the heads about. The movie showcased that Sophie indeed talked to the heads that she created, but that wasn't the part that was being emphasized. It's rather the ability, Sophie's ab- ability to change form when she was asleep, or particularly in the state of which she believed in herself. I read a theory about this on Reddit, where the original poster said that Sophie was insecure throughout her consciousness, and when she was asleep, it all went away because she wouldn't be able to consciously think anything about herself. The insecurity was depicted from the part, the very beginning of the movie, where the girls said about um, Howl's hunting session for pretty girls' hearts. And then when Sophie met Letty, Letty told her to be careful because Howl is on the run, is on the move, and he will be hunting her down. And then Sophie was just like, "Eh, he will not be hunting me, I'm not pretty. No, Sophie! She's very insecure. I would just, if she was real, I would just want to give her a hug or something. This also, um, there's also another scene in the movie where she was sent by Howl to meet up with Suleiman, the witch, also the mentor of Howl in the past where he was, when he was uh, learning magic in his early years. So Howl told her to go and pretend as his mother so that she could plead Suleiman to exclude Howl from the war. (laughs) Very gentleman-like, very, uh, you know, courageous of how. <laughs> so when she met Solomon and Solomon kind of like underestimate Hal or something, Sophie listed down Hal's good traits and how she put her faith in him. So in that moment, she gradually turned younger. She came as an old lady, but when she, but when she was really like being faithful and being determined about Hal's good traits, she turned... She gradually turned younger, and moreover, Mrs. Solomon seemed to notice this as well, that she wasn't an old lady, let alone Howe's mother. Now, when I said that we're going to have unique, interesting characters, I'm not only talking about those who were in the books. Um, I've mentioned Markle at some point previously. I've mentioned Markle. We love Markle, right? I love him. I also love how his name sounds when being pronounced in the Japanese version of the movie. Hal called him Marukuru. It's very cute. He, he's that little boy who gobbled the bacon and eggs in the movie. And also is Hal's apprentice. He also tended to house customers. People who bought spells for their daily needs. Markle is adorable. I absolutely adore him. He can do no wrong. He's literally the only character in the movie that I adore very much. Like, I just adore him because he's, nothing, he's doing nothing wrong. <laughs> However... Markle is a newly added character in the story. He was placed in to replace an existing character from the book named Michael, who is also Howe's apprentice. The difference is that Michael is not a little boy. He's probably a bit older than Sophie's youngest sister, Martha. And yes, speaking of Martha, Michael is actually dating her in the book. Martha was talking about him when she said that she planned to get married and have 10 children. But but the thing is, Michael didn't know that Martha was actually Martha because of the switch, right? Michael thought that she was Letty, so he went around saying, my dear Letty, my dear Letty. Meanwhile, the real Letty was off studying magic. But I didn't think it was explained in clarity whether Michael found out in the end that Letty was actually Martha or I was actually just zoning out when I read that particular paragraph. But I think he sort of found out by himself since, you know, Michael is also a wizard in training. I assume that they can see through the magic or spell. Now that I have mentioned Markle, 
I'm gonna move on to Howl, his personality, his past, and then the war that he's uh, participating in the movie. So speaking of having third vision, that these magical people can see through people, I think that movie Howl absolutely had it, having a third vision. See, he was he was described as the scary wizard who preyed on young women's hearts to steal and devour them. Now, they're half right, because Hal wasn't actually preying on their hearts, but just their being in general. Hal was a certified Casanova, right? Straight up. His goal was to get these women to date him. It seems as if the ladies were noted down in his personal pursue list. Like, I pictured him with a, a very detailed list, consisted of these ladies' names and where they live, and what they look like, and who's the prettiest of them all. Very objectifying. You know, like I said in the beginning, I have wishy-washy opinions on Hal because he's very, I don't know, I kind of hate him when I read the book. (laughs) But he's absolutely charming in the movie. So in the book, Michael mentioned it nonchalantly that he changed targets every time. It's not clear what it was that Hal pursued as it is obviously not their love or attention. Because as soon as the woman reciprocated, he would back out and ghost her. I think that's very rude of him. I did this too sometimes. It's very rude. Don't do that. He just lost interest when the feelings were mutual. It's a very funny behavior. So there were lots of women's hearts that were broken by him. and But thankfully, not taken out of their chests and literally got eaten. The thing about him and Sophie in the movie was that they are connected right from the past into their presence, if that makes sense. Movie Howl and Book Howl have a thing in common. They have a deal with a fire demon, that is Cosifer, the spirit that made the castle move and travel anywhere. So Howl's actual heart is sacrificed to Calcifer and they're bound to a contract. Essentially, it could also be seen as a curse because without each other, they would cease to exist. And this is when Sophie entered and played a role. Sophie, who had turned into an old lady due to being cursed by the Witch of the Waste, went off to find Hal's moving castle. When she arrived inside, she met Calcifer right away, and the latter saw through the curse that was placed upon her, even though Sophie couldn't talk about it. So they made a deal that if Sophie could free Calcifer from his curse, he too would help her break free from hers. And so Sophie forcibly made her way in to stay at the castle until she could find what is the thing that bound Calcifer and Hal together. Now here's the important part from the comparison, I think. The movie specifically set up a country in war. The kings or rulers were asking all to team up and go fight, not excluding wizards and witches. Hal, therefore, was enlisted. We watch him go back and forth in the form of a big dark bluebird and was told by Calcifer that it would be dangerous if he went on, that he wouldn't be able to turn back into his human form if he let himself turning into this uh, beastly giant bird over and over again every time he participated in the war. Whereas the book didn't mention any type of war whatsoever. There's no battle to fight. And well, this is where I think that Hal was portrayed a bit um, I don't know, lamely? Since he wasn't exactly a wizard who went out to fight and do good, right? He was just out, looking pretty, searching for ladies to impress, and ladies' hearts to break. <laughs> so I think from the movie, that's a plus point from the movie storyboard. It, it gave Hal a purpose. 
a bigger purpose that he originally was given. Bookhal was requested to find a prince, but that's all to it. He was trying his best, but um, was he battling a literal war? He was not. <laughs> so during this during this whole time, Sophie didn't realize that she was she was gradually falling for him. It's hilarious. <laughs> Sophie and Hal's dynamics in the book is off the charts. They would always throw these silly banters, and then Sophie would be all stubborn, and Hal would test her temper to the fullest. I mean, yes, they they were bickering too in the movie. That scene, remember that scene after Sophie cleaned the castle and rearranged Hal's magical hair dye in the bathroom so that it resulted to him fucking up his hair color. So then he threw a tantrum, spewing out green disgusting slimes all over the place from inside of his body. It was so dramatic. But the two of them in the book were just simply hilarious too. They would just simply banter for the sake of it. How how was extra annoying. <laughs> uh, he's just as dramatic as movie how, if not more. <laughs> right then. Now, Sophie's role was evidently a lot more impactful in the movie. I'm saying this because the three of them, uh, Sophie, Hal, and Calcifer, were connected from the past and present, like I've mentioned before. Remember the scene towards the end of the movie where the castle fell apart because Sophie had pulled Calcifer out of there? And and then the Witch of the Ways, which at that time had turned all old and non-magic because, you know, the, their encounter at the palace where Sophie was sent to see, the, to see Solomon. And the Witch of the Ways w- was there too. She was like caught red-handed by the, by the palace people. She was placed in this room and just sat there and then she was circled by these like lights and demons and all. All of that kind of magical stuffs, which just, I think, sucked all her power and all her magical abilities and then just revealed who she truly is. So at the end of the movie, uh, the Witch of the Waste had turned all old and just like, you know, clumsy and, and puzzled. So she tried to snatch Hal's heart from inside of Calcifer just because she thinks that it looks pretty. So they were supported. With a minimum platform. Sophie and the Witch of the Ways. Markle, I guess. And the, the dog. The cute dog in the movie. They were supported with a minimum platform. Like left over from the broke down castle. Still moving. It is still moving by the last powers that were just uh, attempted by Calcifer. And then when the Witch of the Ways did, did that. When she pulled out Howl's heart from Calcifer. The whatever's left from the castle collapsed completely and it broke into two and Sophie fell into a cliff and woke up seeing the door to the castle standing up. Which is the only thing from the castle left that she could see clearly. So she walked into that door and Sophie was transported into a different dimension, kind of, to which she was led into the past to meet a younger Howl. Uh, This scene... I think the movie used that to explain how Calcifer got to Hal, which was like this. Calcifer was a falling star and Hal caught him in time before he died out. So that's the moment when they were doing the bargain and Calcifer got the heart, Hal's heart. So we know that in order to erase their curse, Sophie got to extract Hal's heart and return it to the owner. Calcifer and Hal couldn't do it themselves because it will kill them in the process. So they need a third party to do it for them. However, I'm assuming that 
just like Sophie, they can exactly disclose what it is that could cancel the curse because, you know, it's a curse. It's meant to torture the cursed. Things were different in the book. There's no time traveling back to the past. Also, the book explained that there's another fire demon and it belongs to the Witch of the Waste. So if House got Calcifer, the Witch of the Waste got her own fire demon. This fire demon has an intention to steal House Heart from Calcifer. So everybody wants House Heart. Moreover, the demon can also shapeshift into a human. The story introduced her as Miss Angorian, one of House's quests. Sophie just had to be quicker than her and figure out the way to break the curse, which is to get House Heart and return it to Hal. Turns out Sophie possessed a power she didn't know she had. Calcifer told her she got the power of keeping things alive and that's why she should be the one who canceled the curse. Remember the part where she talked to the hats and then when she we, when she could change forms in her sleep and all. So Sophie is actually a witch herself that she was able to do some sort of limited sorcery. But she didn't know this because she was so insecure. And because of the insecurity, she had failed to realize what uh, the true potential that that lies within her. Both in the movie and in the book, in the end, Sophie managed to extract Hal's heart from Calcifer and then return it to Hal without injuring the two of them. So it is proven true that she was able to conjure all the things around her to, or keeping things alive. She has this power that she didn't know about before and Calcifer made her realize that So, movie Sophie was helped uh, by the time-traveling scene where she entered that door and then uh, helped by the flashback scene that the heart is crucial to breaking their curse. Meanwhile, book Sophie was just instructed by her own instinct that truly emphasized that she actually has a great ability, a great power as a witch, as a sorceress she finally realized that, oh, it's the heart that's crucial. It's the heart that will break the curse. And I have the ability to do that. I have the ability to take out the heart without injuring the both of them and also breaking the curse at the same time. Like, it's a win-win thing. Neither Hal or Calcifer could do that by themselves because they would, either one of them could die in the process. But Sophie could. So Sophie did it. As for Sophie's curse, I think that it's it canceled out since the Witch of the Waste in the movie had turned into his into her original self. So the curse is automatically erased as well. But the book Sophie was, you know, since the fire demon of the Witch of the Waste is also tackled by the both of them. And then they were all they, they disappeared. The fire demon or aka Miss Angorian had just ceased to exist. She disappeared from from that universe. And I think that it also just cancelled out the curse that was put upon Sophie. And then the sweetest thing is that Hal finally said to Sophie at the last time that he's he had been wondering all along if Sophie would turn out to be that lovely girl that he met on May Day. And then he asked her, why were you so scared back then? Um, I don't know, maybe because you were a total stranger trying to accompany her, Hal. But yeah, essentially Hal already know that the old lady was Sophie. They were destined. They were destined to be together. So with all of this being talked, 
Here's my favorite observation upon Hal and Sophie's connection. I like both the book and movie versions around this. I've mentioned that the movie version connected them through the past and present. Well, see, there was a scene when Sophie went back in time and realized the very thing to break the curse. She was forced to come back to the present again. Before she gets sucked back to the present, she yells out to Hal and Calcifer that her name is Sophie, and she also told them to find her in the future. And get this, we return to their first encounter on May Day. Hal was saying that he's been looking for her everywhere, and that's actually him finding Sophie in the set future. I mean, this is just a theory. Everybody also agreed on this, people who already watched the movie. And I I realized this um, a couple of watch later. It just, it just clicked to me at the end when Sophie told him that, please find me in the future. And then when I watched it for a couple of times more, I was like, oh, 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 <laughs> like that. Okay, it's just something that's clicked. Just a light bulb, like bling, inside my mind. I mean, this is just a theory, of course, since Howell could also just saying that to get rid of the soldiers from Sophie. He could just be pretending that I've been looking for you everywhere. Where have you been? Don't ever get lost from my side again. Sort of like that. Yeah, but I like to think that he said that because he finally meet her after such a long time. Like... I'd like to think that he had spent a lot of time finding her. I think it's it absolutely ingrained in his mind and also Calcifer that when it happened, when Sophie yelled at them to find her in the future, it would also it would just be ingrained in their minds and there was who who is that who is that young lady and why why should the both of us find her in the future? What kind of what kind of situation that awaits us in the future? I think they're they're gonna be very curious. They're gonna be very. Um, it will occupy their minds all of those years, and then when they finally just you know how they are magical people. They they have magic powers, and then they just sort of just like find Sophie. At that time, Sophie coincidentally just went out of the hat store to visit Letty, right? And then it's the moment where she came out, where she was visible to the world. And then Hal just coincidentally was out there too. And then found Sophie. Took a long time. Took a very long time. But they met finally. Sort of that romantic things altogether. <laughs> also, I believe Calcifer was also made aware since the first time old lady Sophie uh, stepped foot into the castle. Because Calcifer didn't just let anyone in. This is made obvious by Markle. He also complied to Sophie when she wanted to use the fire for cooking. Uh, Markle said that it's usually... Calcifer would usually just let Hal do that. In the book, Hal was actually enamored by Sophie immediately. So when when the incident of, Were you going, little mouse? Should I accompany you? And that thing. He was already enamored by Sophie. He kept thinking about the pretty lady back on May Day. He found out her name and actually approached her sister to find out about her whereabouts. No kidding, yeah, how approach Martha. But just to find out where Sophie is, actually. He he heard the news that Sophie had turned into an old lady by a curse. And Howell was actually doing all he could to help her throughout all the time Sophie was living in the castle. He already knew about Miss Angorian and everything. Miss Angorian being the fire demon and wanted to steal his heart. He already knew that. He had anticipated that. And that's why he was being super cautious when the lady visited the castle. 
and also at some point Hal even invited Sophie's family to the castle to keep her minds off things and it's just very I think it's just very sweet of him very sneaky but very sweet of him Sophie didn't have any idea about all of that my takes are just that in some ways Hal was like a magical version of Mr. Darcy (laughs) of Pride and Prejudice he really was you know he pretended to not care but he does care like a big deal he did things sneakily in the end it, it all works together it all works well and it sort of just happened to with how he he pushed a lot of sophie's buttons and sophie is really annoyed by his presence sophie thinks him as a drama king sophie thinks of him as someone who wants to be good because he has a motive behind it Sophie didn't really think he's a genuine person. (laughs) But the thing is that he really is, though. Sophie just didn't know it. Or Howl just chose to not show it. Both book Howl and movie Howl knew about the curse that Sophie was under. And he took her in, helped her until she found a way to solve it. And just, you know, Sophie's own determination in breaking Howl and Calcifer's curse, I think, originally derives from her own desire to break free from her own curse. You know, because of the bargain at the beginning that if Sophie get to help Calcifer break the curse and then Calcifer would help her too. She wanted that, so she worked hard to find out how to break the curse. But then heading towards the end, I think she also developed these affections for the both of them and just wanted, to be to, just wanted them to be okay, you know? So what are your thoughts about House Moving Castle? I think it's a very good story. It's, it's magical. Not in any way mysterious, but I think it's very fantastic in a way that the writers seem to have extended imagination. Like all of these, all of these terms, all of these characters and their personalities, what they're doing to get what they wanted. Also the curse about Sophie turned into an old lady. She set Sophie's characters as this insecure lady. She was very closed up. In the beginning, right, she was she was succumbing to the situation from her stepmother. She she was going to be the heir of the hat shop. She was obeying what people wanted her to do, but then she got cursed, and then she 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 had to work for herself. She had to break free from the curse, and to break free from the curse, it it would be impossible to do that if she was just going to stay at home. So in a way, she breaks out from her shell, and. We love to see it. I like I like that about Sophie's character. There's not much of arc for Hal in the book, but I think that uh, with the movie, um, I think Ghibli Studios also saw it in a way that, hey, Hal doesn't really have some redeeming qualities for his kind of douchey attitudes. <laughs> so they set up they, they set up a setting of war so that Hal can have this bigger responsibility than he has in a book. So that he could redeem himself. <laughs> I think it's a, it's an amazing story. It's very interesting to read of, for all ages. From a hint side, it looks like it resembles a kind of like a child story. The kind of stories that you read to children before they, they go to sleep. But you can absolutely enjoy this story. No matter how age you are at right now no matter what age you are at right now whoa grammar okay so i think that's my cue to end this episode right here so before i go i wanted to remind you again to follow the podcast and save up the episodes 
I am also now on Twitter. It's the same handle that I use for Instagram. It's pieces of books. It's pieces of books, but the C is replaced by V because I didn't get the username. I kept reminding people that. <laughs> so yeah, follow me up. Maybe talk to me. How you listen to the episodes lately, or how you just find the stories overall? Is it interesting? Is it、um, the favorite story so far? You know, let me know. Yep, and I'll end it here. I'll see you soon on the next episode. Bye bye.